Good morning. Good morning, everyone. This is Practice Success Podcast. <clears throat> I'm your host, Jonathan Alcade, and I have another um, great guest for you guys. We are going to talk about how to deal with negative emotion for business owner. Mm. And my guest today is Ed Dobby. He is a retired um, um, therapist, um, um, he's been working at a juvenile division at California Department of Correction after 30, 32 years of a career therapist, supervisor, and management trainer. He's an author of two best-selling books. Um, it's on Amazon, Emotion as a Tool, Control Your Life, Not Your Emotion, Beyond Anger Management, Master Your Anger as a Strategic strategic tool those are two great books it's on amazon you guys check that out but today we are going to talk about emotions and how to control them and how to manage them and harness them into actually um using them instead of um your emotion controlling you so that's it is going to be a great piece and it's going to be a great episode for you guys um hopefully this is going to bring value to you but i'm going to bring them up and let's get started with um this show um here we go um dr ed are you there yes i am good morning jonathan and thank you for having me on your podcast i appreciate it thank you so much for coming on to the show it's early i know you're in california as well it's only five it's 5 30 in the morning you're an early person <laughs> when i have to be <laughs> <laughs> well dr ed um first things first is um can you can you give us a little bit of background? Um, give my audience a little bit of um, background of yourself, of your professional career, so that my audience could um, um, know a little bit more about you. Yeah, let me put it into perspective for you, Jonathan. When when I was growing up, emotions were not dealt with well in my family. We didn't talk about emotions. Um, they were expressed, but we didn't talk about them. And when I decided to go to graduate school, so actually, let me step back. So what I did is I went into my head and I thought I can think through everything and I don't have to deal with emotions because they're messy. And so I just kind of pushed them down. So I get into graduate school and I'm learning about emotions and doing everything I need to do as a psychology graduate or graduate in psychology graduate school. And I was in San Francisco. I was doing an internship at Napa State Hospital here in California. And a, a neighbor of mine was the director of a place called the Henry Olaf House. And it was a treatment program for um, alcoholics and drug addicts. And so I said, can I be, can I sit in on your groups? And he said, no. I said, well, what do you mean no? And so he explained, he said, I won't let you sit in on the group, but what you can do is you can be a participant observer. And I thought, piece of cake. I'm a graduate student. I can deal with this. Jonathan, it took these folks six months, and I didn't drink alcohol, and I didn't have a drug problem. It took them six months to get through my defenses, and they called me a non-drinking alcoholic. And what they said was, while we, the members of the group, push our feelings down by drugs and alcohol, you, Ed, you avoid your feelings by going into your books. It was a life-changing eye-opener for me. So let's fast forward a little bit. Now I get a job with the California Youth Authority, or, and I'm working with young women, all of whom have committed serious crimes in California, and all of whom had 
serious psychological issues because they have histories of abuse, physical, sexual, and so forth. And here I am, and my job is to work with these young women and staff and teach and help them grow. Well, my language is up here and theirs is down here because they just didn't have the education. I couldn't communicate. So I developed the emotions as tools model to explain what emotions are and how to strategically deploy them. And I'm sure we'll talk about that during the podcast today. Mm -hmm. So then when I retired, I decided, okay, my mission now is to educate people about emotions. So I started my blog, theemotionsdoctor.com, and I wrote my books, and I appear on podcasts because my mission now in retirement is to help people understand what emotions are because in our society, we don't learn that information. They don't teach it. So there's a lot of myths about emotion, including one, by the way, that you mentioned in the introduction about negative emotions, and we'll address that because there are no negative emotions. So these are myths that exist that my goal is to correct, to teach, and help others learn what emotions are and how to strategically use them. That's the short version. Mm, okay. All right. So l- let me get this one straight. Bef- before you... you um, started working at the um, juvenile um, correction department. Uh-huh. Did you already write the book or did you write it after? No, I wrote it after I retired, but it was based on my experiences. Mm. What happened was I wrote my first book, The Emotions as Tools, which then described the model that I developed. And after I wrote that book some oh eight years later, I started to to get the sense that Anger was really misunderstood. I mean, I would watch TV at night, and here would be this celebrity. And he would say, well, yes, I got arrested for beating up my girlfriend. But you know, it wasn't my fault because the anger made me do it. And I thought, no, the anger didn't make you do it. You decided to do it based on the anger. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a book about anger. Because totally misunderstood. Okay. All right. I, I know we're going to get into all, all of this, but I, I want to get your your perspective or your background first. How did this, um, your your job, which is to to supervise troubled kids, how did that impacted? How did that? How did that impacted you the most about your job? Because I I know it's going to come out with all of this and why did you write the book and all that. So I want to get a little bit more deep into it. Well, uh, to, to be honest, it tore me up. And, and part of that was because I had, when I first started at the uh, Depart- Juvenile Division of the Cor- Department of Corrections, I had five young women on my caseload, Jonathan, all of whom had killed their children. And I didn't know how to deal with it. I mean, I had small kids of my own, and I'd never encountered this in graduate school. Mm. And I, didn't, I, I had to, to really struggle with this to learn how to help them understand what they did, what was behind it, and how to be able to deal with it so that they could grow past it. None of these were bad kids, mm-hmm. the, the ones I worked with, but mm-hmm. they all did bad things. Mm-hmm. And I had them help to un, I had to help them understand that. And that's what I had to get through that. If I hadn't gotten through, I almost I should say I almost quit my job. I'd been working there two or uh, about five years. And I worked with these two young women and I poured myself into them as a therapist. And I came into work one day and one of them had taken a razor and sliced the other across the face. And I thought, I don't need this. 
I'm a PhD in psychology. I don't need to put up with this nonsense. That's not the word I used, by the way, but that was the gist of it. And so then I decided, wait a minute. My job is to give them the best care and advice that I can. And I'm responsible for that, but I'm not responsible for what they do with it. That was up to them. Mm -hmm. That was an epiphany for me. That's also true, by the way, for raising kids. You can only do the best you can to give your kids the best sources of information, the best advice to, to support them. But what they do with that is up to them. And once I realized that, along with the other two uh, issues that I just spoke about earlier, then I was able to progress, develop my model. And I had a very successful career working both with the young women and men eventually and training staff. So that's how all that fits together. Oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, any other person would have given up. I mean, that's something that uh, and, and you, you do not do not uh, come across to something like that and try to help that person. But hey, more power to you. You actually stayed there and not think about yourself. You actually taught the other person and actually stayed there and actually helped out. Uh, I mean, I, I admire that about you. Um, one thing did you, what, what, what did you, um, I mean, 32 years and you handling trouble, um, teenagers, how, what, what lesson, um, did you get from it as a person? Did they, did they teach you anything at all? Oh, they taught me more as, as much as I taught them. Hmm. They taught me how to understand other people and their emotions. And again, let me say that when I was growing up, I didn't deal with my emotions. Mm. So I had to learn to deal with my own so that I could help them deal with theirs. The, the model that I developed, the emotions is tools model, has helped me help others, uh, not only in terms of podcasts, but I did some public speaking for a while and, and my books. And, and that has been extremely rewarding for me. Again, it's, it's well, if you ask my wife, my first job in retirement is to be retired, so that comes first. But after that, my mission is, again, to educate others. And these young women that I worked with and the males that I worked with and the staff that I helped train really transformed me. And it gave me it, – it's the psychology that I now do in retirement. I don't want to do a private practice because that takes up time. I don't want to start a business because I don't want to mess with all that, mm -hmm. although I understand the principles behind it, mm -hmm. and I teach those principles. But for me, teaching others about emotions is very fulfilling and very rewarding. And I got that from my 32 years working in the California Department of Corrections Juvenile Division. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to get into this because I also read all the comments of your book, um, which is Control Your Emotion and Control Your Life, and they all talk about um, practicality on how you, um, you, when you wrote your book, and some examples on how to deal with emotion. Can you give us um, the system uh, in, in a way, um, like, um, in, in, in a few few steps so that my audience can understand if they are dealing with emotions, which is sometimes could be very, um, very overwhelming emotions, which is, um, in, um, do make them do stuff that hey, sometimes they don't want to do. Yep. Sometimes they hate. So yep. if you can, you know, help my audience, um, that would be great. 
I sure can. Let me explain the emotional process and how it works. Mm -hmm. First of all, we have had emotions since we lived in caves. And emotions helped us survive as a species because we as humans don't have sharp teeth. We don't have sharp claws. All we have is our brain and our emotions. And so emotions evolved to help us survive. And here's how it works. All of us, all the time, you, me, everybody else, all your listeners and viewers, are constantly scanning our surroundings for, for threats. When we perceive a threat, our brain automatically puts us into fight or flight. We're mm -hmm. ready to deal with the threat. We don't have to think about that. And it's because of that automatic process that we believe, that people believe incorrectly, that our emotions control us. They don't. What they do is they prepare us to deal with whatever the threat is. Now, here's the challenge. When we lived in caves, all of the threats were physical. They were real and they would kill us. And so we didn't need emotions like anxiety because anxiety didn't exist when we lived in caves. So we as humans developed the second part of the emotional process, and that is this. When we experience a threat, the first part of that prepares us to deal with it. At the same time, a slower message goes to the thinking part of our brain, which is the cerebral cortex, which now enables us to think about, assess, and validate what it is that we're perceiving, the threat. It's that second part that, one, makes us human because animals tend not to do that, and two, it gives us the power to use the energy of the emotions to propel us forward and to make a decision using the information the emotions give us. So there are no negative emotions. The reason why we emotions have become labeled as negative is because of the things people do when they experience an emotion because they don't understand how to strategically deploy it. Now, let me explain that. When strategic deployment means we look at the situation, we take the energy of that emotion that the emotion gives us because that's what emotions do, they motivate us, and then we apply that energy as it needs to be applied. So we don't control our emotions and our emotions don't control us, but what we do is we control our behavior using the information that the emotions give us. So let's look at a business context. Let's say that you have you have a business, you have a podcast, that's your business. Mm -hmm. So you look at the, the information that your business gives you, the feedback. You look at, at who, who your listeners are. You set up your, your guests based on the needs of your listeners. That then informs you about what you need to do to make your business grow. It's the same with emotions. Your emotions tell you how you see a situation. They give you information, and then you use that information to make a decision on how you're going to move forward. So each emotion has a different message. The message of the emotion is how you perceive what's going on. The message of anger is, I perceive a threat that I can eliminate by throwing enough force at it. Anger prepares you for battle. Hmm. Now, anxiety is a future-based emotion that says there might be a threat out there and it might damage me in some way. 
what pro the issue with anxiety is there are several different ways to look at it. Most people, when they feel anxious, they get nervous, and anxiety functions as what's called distress, D-I-S-T-R-E-S-S, -S, and that tends to immobilize us or shut us down. My students, because I teach at a local university here in California, mm -hmm. my students, when they get anxious about a, an exam, do one of two things. They either study for it, which is what they should do. That's using anxiety as eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, -E or some of them shut down, procrastinate, and then they do poorly on the exam. Mm -hmm. So anxiety is a very important emotion for business people because it alerts them to the possibility of a situation that they may have to deal with. The way to strategically deploy anxiety is to say, to use the cerebral cortex, is to say, wait a minute, what's the possible threat? What am I facing? And what do I need to do about it to prepare for that threat? So when and if it does happen, I'm cool, I can deal with it. Or to say, wait a minute, I'm overreacting here. There's no big deal. I need to let it go. Hmm. Now, the flip side of anxiety is called anticipation. Anticipation is a future-based emotion, the message of which there's going to be something out there, and it's going to be good, and I'm looking forward to it. So now when your business listeners say, if they turn anxiety into anticipation, meaning, you know what? I've got this challenge coming up but I've got it covered. So when it comes, man, I'm ready. Bring it on. That's anticipation. And anticipation is highly motivating. So that's how you strategically deploy your emotions to motivate you to do what you have to do. Now let's take a look at anger because anger is a very powerful emotion. And anger, the message again is that there's a threat out there and I can overpower it. So let's say you're trying to start a business and it's a product-based business and your supplier doesn't do what you need that person to do. So now you're angry. Well, the anger is appropriate. Why? Because there's a threat. Your product isn't here and you need it. So you can get pissed off and very angry at that supplier or you can say, wait a minute, what do I need to do to correct this? And that's how you use the emotion of anger to move you forward. There's a threat, and I need to deal with the threat. I don't need to go overboard and throw the everything plus the kitchen sink at that supplier. I need to call the people I need to call and make those corrections. Does that make sense? It it, it does it does in a, in a lot of ways. The the way I see it is, hey, step back, do do um, assess the situation, and like actually understand the emotion that you're feeling and then try to define it. Hey, I'm feeling angry. Hey, I'm, I have anxiety. Um, mm -hmm. Hey, I'm depressed. And then once you identify the, the feeling or the emotion, then you can move forward and then try to assess the situation and what's going on and then use that as a, a telling point of what you do, you have to do next. But so for, for for us and like, but for us, so most people because I've done it, I've done it. I have surrendered mm -hmm. to my emotion and I've done things that I do not like, 
which I regret at the end. And at the end, I would say, hey, this is not me. This is not, this is not something I like to do. But yet I did it at that moment because I surrendered to that emotion, which is anger. And then when that anger comes, now I'm breaking things. And um, I did not like that. That's not me. Um, so I I have form a habit which is if there's an um like anger or an argument going on especially with my family i have formed a habit of hey i need to sit down and i'm not getting up if there is an argument or an issue because for me it's it's tough for me when i get up i uh, my, uh, i start building an emotion which is an angry so now i i saw myself and i formed this habit which is to sit down when i'm talking to especially with my wife and there's an argument and there's a anger and i was like you know what i'm gonna sit down because when i get up my emotions are that it's just too much and and like so that's one thing which is what's what works for me but um you're the expert so can you give us a um a plan or if we are feeling anger and we are start to become violent it, um i know you told us to like you know assess the situation and to but at that moment, what can you tell us at that moment if we're feeling anger and, you know, what can we do? Well, I need to tell you, Jonathan, you're right on. You expressed it absolutely perfectly. And the strategy that you came up with is very good. What I suggest to people is to train themselves to think about ahead of time that whenever they feel an emotion to take a deep breath, and mm. to take a step back. Mm. Now, here's why. When you take a step back from the situation, in your case, you needed to sit down and that's perfectly okay. When you take a step back, you create physical space between you and the other person. That's important. So you don't do something like go off and hurt them or mm -hmm. what you're talking about. When you take a deep breath or two, you create psychological space. Because when you take a deep breath, it relaxes you. So when you take a deep breath or two deep breaths, whatever it takes, or sit down, you then can assess what's going on. But it doesn't come naturally. You have to practice it. And the way you practice it is to say, okay, in your case, exactly what you did. Look, I get angry. When I get angry, I say and do things I don't like and I later regret. Mm -hmm. So what I need to do is I need to sit down. So now when you experience anger, your brain says, oh, I'm angry. I need to sit down. That's the connection you want to build in. Other people might just, it might be enough for them to say, for me, when I get angry, my brain says, take a deep breath and take a step back. Because I too, I've, I've not gotten to the point where I've gotten physical. Although, I mean, I remember when my daughter, my first child was, was very young. She was, we, we were living in a, a condominium at the time and she was in the back and I was trying to watch this TV program. I mean, this is, it sounds stupid when I talk about it now, but it was real then. And I really wanted to watch this program. So she, and it was just me, I was taking care of her. So I went back and I changed her diaper and did everything I can. Then I went back to my TV and wah, she starts crying again. So I went back a second time, checked everything was fine. I went back to my TV and I go, wah. 
The third time I went back to the room, I was angry. But the reason why I was angry was that now she was a threat to my trying to watch the television program. Really mm. dumb, especially for a psychologist. I'm much better with other people's kids than I was with my own. Because when you're dealing with your own kids, you are subjectively involved. And it's hard to be objective or um, basically detached. I had to learn this. So anyway, I get back and I walk into a room and I walk halfway across the room and my brain says, no, no, stop. Now, I would not have heard her had I gotten across the room, but I didn't want to get there. So I stopped, I turned around, I left the room, and then everything was fine. So I too had, and still have at times, challenge with anger. But I have trained my brain just like you trained yours, so that when I get angry, the message now is take a step back and take a breath, and then take a look at what's going on. Because there are times when your anger is going to be appropriate. And then you'll have to assess how much of that energy do I need to apply? So if you're angry at, at your child or you're angry at your wife because of something that happened, you may need to take that anger and say, look, wife, we need to talk about this because what happened is not right and we need to correct it. Or you may need to say to your, your child, you have young kids, right? Mm -hmm. Young kids. Okay. Well, when they get older, and they're teenagers, you may have to say, what you did was wrong, and I'm angry about it. And so we're going to sit down, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to correct it and make it right. So you don't want to deny the anger, and that's the, the myth that people misunderstand. They say, I shouldn't get angry, because when I get angry, I do bad things. No, get angry, understand what the anger is, and then use the energy of that anger to bring about a correction to the situation that needs dealing with. Mm, very profound. I love it. I love it. It's because you're absolutely correct, which is to actually identify the emotion and mm -hmm. actually using it instead of, hey, feeling bad about yourself that you're angry and actually using the anger as a motivation as a, hey, um, something is wrong and something needs to be corrected. I, I love it. I love all of it. Um, you have worked with a lot of troubled teenagers. Um, what advice would you give people um, or, or model you abide by, um, you, you actually abide by? What, what advice do you give the troubled teenagers? Okay, let me, let me explain a, an, a concept that I'm, I'm working on now and writing, and it's called the basic relationship rule. Hmm. And emotions are important here, but this is how you relate to other people. The basic relationship rule says, and this is, you need to keep this in mind when you're dealing with adults or teenagers, says everybody in every situation does the best they can in that situation, given their model of the world and their skill sets. Let me repeat it because it's critical. Everybody mm. in every situation including you, by the way, when you get angry and you want to go off and hurt somebody. Mm -hmm. Everybody in every situation does the best they can given their model of the world and their skill sets. Now, let me explain that. It's not the best possible. Clearly, the example you gave or the example I gave, <coughs> when we do things we later regret, that's not the best possible. 
but it's the best we're capable of in that situation, given our model, how we view what's going on, and the skills that we have. So when you're dealing with a teenager and they do things, they do dumb things, we need to understand how they view the world. And this is what I had to do with the young women I worked with. I had to understand their view of the world, which was really kind of difficult for me at times. I had one young woman I was working with. She said, you know, Dr. Dobby, she, and she'd been molested. She said, you know, you're not a man. I said, what? She said, you're not a man. I said, well, clearly, Jane, not her name. I said, clearly, Jane, I'm, I'm a male. She said, yes, but you're not a man. What she was telling me was this. She said, you're Dr. Dobby. What she was telling me is she could see me as a person. She could not see me as a man because in her world, men were dangerous. Yes, she understood I was a male, but I was Dr. Dobby, and that was different. Once I understood that, I could help her see that many men are dangerous, all the men in her life, but not all men. So when you're dealing with a teenager or adults, you need to understand their model. Mm. So let's say that you have a teenager who's having challenges at school dealing with other kids. Well, maybe they don't have the social skills in order to be able to communicate with those other, with their other students. That's a skill deficit. So we need to help them gain those skills so they can communicate. So again, in order to deal with people, you need to understand how they see the world, which is their model. You need to, instead of condemning their behavior, understand that this is the best they can do. So we need to help them change that behavior because the behavior is not working. And in order to change the behavior, they may need new skills. Does it, do you see how that all fits together? Yes, uh, I, I, I love it. I, I really do because now I know that I'm dealing with some of this and I could see it um, the way um, my little sister sometimes works and my, some of the teenagers that I deal with as well. Um, understanding their behavior and um, they're dealing with things the best the the best way they can and the way they see it. So, uh, I mean, it, all of this is very very good to me. So, anyways, Doctor um, Ed, thank you so much for giving us some insight of how to deal with our emotions. Um, I really do appreciate this, um, and as well as my audience. And it's been really fun, and I love it. Um, can you? actually going to buy the book as well. Can you guys, Can do you have the book so that my audience could see the book? Yes. And but before I do that, let mm -hmm. me direct your audience to my blog. It's called theemotionsdoctor.com, T-H-E-E-M-O-T-I-O-N-S-D-O-C-T-O-R.com. I have over 100 entries on my blog. And what I've done is I've put an index tab in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage. Go to that index tab, click on it. It'll take you to a PDF. When you click on the PDF, it gives you every article that I have posted by title, category, title, and date. You can then access the information that you want by going to the archives on the right-hand side of the homepage and go directly to the article that you want. Well, you may have to scroll up and down, but it's there. That's an important source of information. Now, my books, this is... My book on anger, Beyond Anger Management. Get my finger out of the way. And this is the other book, my first book, Emotions as Tools. Both are available on Amazon. So 
best place to start is theemotionsdoctor.com. Get some information. Information also is in the books. And I encourage your, your listeners and viewers to get the information, learn about their emotions, and use their emotions to propel them forward. And I should say, by the way, we talked about the basic relationship rule. The emotions that you're, that the people you're dealing with show you, tell you how they perceive the world. That's part of their model. So if they're angry at you, it means they perceive you as a threat. The model of the world is you are a threat. So you need to understand that in order to help them get past it or to say, maybe I am a threat, so I need to apologize. So you use your emotions to help you understand how they see the world, and then you use the basic relationship rule to help you understand how to interact with them and move them forward so that your relationship with them improves. That's how it all fits together. Ooh, a, a very a great way to end a, a episode. And again, guys, the emotion doctor, he's the best. He wrote books. He knows what he's talking about. He dealt with all kinds, all kinds of troubled teenagers, which is he's, he's in it for a very long time. So he knows what he's talking about. So you guys get that book. I'm, I'm surely going to get it for myself because I want to, I want to learn and I, I'm, I'm, I, I want to see all of this and I want to learn about all about it. So you guys get that on Amazon as well. And Dr. Ed, thank you so much for coming on to the show. I will, we really do appreciate you. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, I love this. I know it could help a lot of people and um, yeah, that's it from us. Thanks um, for having me, Jonathan. All the best to you. Okay. Um, so, Ed, do you have like a social media um, they could go on to to get in contact with you? No, I don't have social media. Yeah, I'm on Facebook, but I don't do much with it. Mm. I'm on LinkedIn, and that's a good way to contact me. Or if they have questions, they can email me at the emotions doctor at gmail. Emotion, the emotion doctor at gmail.com. You guys, all right. That's it from us. Thank you for tuning in, and well, we see you. Um, thank you again. We appreciate you, and you guys have a great day. And thank you, Dr. Ed. Um, thank you so much. Happy New Year. Bye, everyone. Bye.